Hello, Matt. Uh, Joe Walsh, uh, Lepidico, Managing Director, um, have been since 2016. Lepidico is developing a vertically integrated lithium project from mine in Namibia, where we're also building a concentrator to find chemical production in the UAE using our proprietary process uh, technologies. We've been on a 10-year journey, and we're now right on the cusp of completing front-end engineering and design, looking at transitioning this project into construction and then operation. Joe, good to have you back on. Good to have you back on. Well, I mean, I think it's true to say that the the lithium thesis is uh, going strong. Um, However, if I look at the response to last press release you put out, I'm not sure the market gets it. So do they not think that you're going to be able to insert yourself into that ecosystem? What's going on? Uh, like I think that's well. Firstly, that the overall market conditions that we're in are, are, are pretty challenging right now. Um, but I do think that um, you know the the announcement that we just put out there was a bit of sweet, a bit of sweet element to it. A lot more sweet in my mind to to any bitterness. Um, you know, we've spent most of this year. Look at uh, upgrading some of these inferred resources in Namibia. So this is resource definition work. This is not exploration. Uh, they're defined, albeit inferred resources. We're upgrading them. We've got some brilliant results, much better grades, much better widths than we envisaged that we would get based on the historical drilling. Um, and that's captured in the announcement. Uh, we've done some preliminary mine planning on this. We've got a pit optimization very low strip ratio as well. So, um, you know, that allows us to get a little bit of a sense for how um, uh, low cost the mining is going to be here. The grade indicates that we're going to have some of the best in situ material uh, at Helicon 4, which is the name of the deposit. So this is going to come into the mine schedule reasonably early on and displace lower grade, higher strip ratio material. We all know that that has a massive beneficial uh, effect to valuation. So this is why I say there's there's a lot more sweet in that announcement based on uh, this resource definition work that we're doing versus the uh, extra two months it's uh, looking like it's going to take to complete front-end engineering and design for the chemical plant. Now, we've seen, I've been in touch with several analysts over the last couple of days and their feedback is that's inconsequential in this market and also in the greater scheme of things. But it's not inconsequential in terms of you're burning through cash every month and retail investors looking at this and going, oh, man, this, you're just stringing this thing out. So what, why, why the delays? Let's, let's start with that and then maybe move on to what does that cost? And if, if, if you can back up the inconsequential claims by the analysts, What's the upside by doing that for you? Sure. No, it's a, it's a really good question, Matt. So I think that first and foremost, uh, Lycopodium has uh, the two EPCM contracts for the concentrator in Namibia and for the chemical plant uh, in the UAE. All of the concentrator work has been done well. It's clo- The feed is closed out there. The, the focus is on, on the chemical plant. And no one's ever built one of these things before. It's purely hydrometallurgical. It's not complex with a pyrometallurgical front end like a spodumene plant, but it is a proprietary process technology and we've got to get it right. And we've spent a lot of time working with not just like a podium with the, the, the architects of the 
process technology, uh, strategic metallurgy based in Perth, <coughs> excuse me, and also the independent um, technical engineer for, for the lenders to this project, BDA. And so between the four of us with Lapidico as well, we've been working out the, the best process route here. And there's been a couple of areas where we've actually uh, put in some surge capacity. So earlier on this year, the process uh, did change a little bit. That all got bedded down um, around June. And like podium has then been focused in on completing the control estimate, front-end engineering and design. All you have to do is turn the news on to see how challenging markets are uh, for any kind of materials, equipment, like supply chains are under, under some real strain. And when we came to look at the work, the good work that Lycopodium has done here, it was evident that there was some real opportunity to be able to uh, locally source equipment and materials within the UAE. There's a huge oil, gas and petrochemicals industry there, very well established. Some of the, uh, some of the um, construction contractors there are big organisations with enormous purchasing power. That element had not been baked in to the work that had been done to sort of late August. And we saw enormous potential there. Remember, we've now got an executive general manager on the ground in the UAE that's built two chemical plants in the same industrial park that we're building on. So all of that expertise is now being embedded into the final stage of completing front-end engineering and design. We've also got our own man on the ground in Brisbane who's based out of Lycopodium's office. We didn't have that until six, eight weeks ago. And during COVID, it was very difficult to be recruiting people and getting them uh, to be working in locations like that. So I think that there's there's some legacy issues. Um, we've, I think that where we stand now is we've addressed all of those legacy issues that we've had from COVID. We've got the right people involved and... I think it's a very solid date to be completing this feed in in November now. Right. So there's a few things we're going to pick up. So legacy issues due to COVID, not because management's made some bad decisions in the past. Is that what you're saying there? Oh, like I think, so we could have put someone in that office maybe earlier. I don't think it would have necessarily been the right person trying to recruit senior executive people when you can't even meet them. Uh, is not straightforward. So, um, you know, I think that we've, we've expanded the executive management team. Uh, we've doubled in size over the first half of this year, effectively. Um, and we wouldn't, we couldn't do that, uh, during COVID. So I think that it's, uh, you know, as we've come out of this, we've built the team. I think that we've got absolutely the right people involved. And this is a tough market to be um, uh, getting skills. I think we've got, and we've got fabulous skills. And that is testament, I think, to the business, uh, the business strategy. Yeah, it's, it's tough for everyone. Okay, you're all, you're all going through it at the moment. But, you know, that, that's why we're investing in, in, in these companies, right? We expect the teams to actually you know, do what they're paid to do. But it, let's, go, let's go back to the inconsequential, and not your words, analysts' words, but... 
what is two months or what are you allocating in terms of the additional cost to you by you know stripping this out or you know prolonging this by another two months is how inconsequential is it in terms of dollars so it's so the additional works about a million dollars just under a million okay dollars. Okay. okay. And, and the upside, we'll, we'll then get to the upside, because that, that's the interesting bit. Like, if it's a million bucks and it allows you to capture more value, I'm all in. So what, what's that number? Have you put a number on that yet? So we've certainly got some targets as to what we think can be uh, the benefits of, of um, local sourcing of materials and risk management in this as well. Like, you know, part of what we're looking at here is rather than uh, be getting uh, materials and equipment out of Europe, where there's obviously all sorts of challenges going on right now, is locally sourcing as much as possible. So there will be, I think, uh, capital benefits here vis-a-vis um, -vis not doing the work. Um, there's certainly risk, risk mitigation. And then the other part of it, we cannot lose sight of the resource definition work that's being done. In two months' time, we will have measured indicated resources on a number of these uh, areas that are currently inferred. We'll be able to have those come into the mine plan. The work that we've done so far shows that it adds an extra six odd years to the project, taking it up to 20 years of operating life on very, very good grade material with um, low strip ratio. Okay, Joe, Joe, Joe before, before, we go, before we go there, Joe, I, I, wanna make, I wanna do a service to everyone listening to this and I'll make sure you've, you've explained it the best way possible. And I wanna stick with the, the front end engineering on the chemical plant, right? You're saying that the all these savings, you spend a million bucks over the next two, additional million bucks over the next two months, but you will you will spend a lot less on your kind of capex and your you know your your um, equipment manufacturer and sourcing. Is is that where the only gain is? It does does the new design factor in? I don't know a more efficient process, a, a more output, or anything like that, or is it just all of that kind of front end bit? So the, the the design has already been locked down. The design was locked down back in June. Right. What we're going to be doing here is is more detailed stuff. It is there's going to be some work looking at sort of uh, repositioning this tank to reduce that piping run. It, it, so that's all sort of some some more detailed engineering that's being pulled into this phase. That so that's that's smaller stuff in the greater right. Scale of things. Okay, it, but you're spending a buck. You might save three bucks. You might save five bucks. It's that kind of mentality. That's what you're you're working for. And when can you give guidance to the market? Would it be when the um, FED the the, the, the feed, feed study is done and complete? Or yeah, like so. Now? We're targeting that for for November. Um, okay. We got a board meeting in the latter part of uh, November and our AGM and completion of this body of work. Um, we discussed it at length with like a podium. Uh, and it's scheduled to be completed uh, ahead of that uh, that board meeting, right? But that, and will it include numbers? Because obviously that that's a you know it's an engineering and design phase, paperwork stuff. Is there a kind of costing component that goes with the same study? And will you be able to show the market and say, look, we were delayed. It cost one buck, but we've saved three. I mean, 
Are you going to be able to give us that? Because there's a kind of trust component. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So the, the absolute answer is yes. Like the, right. the front end engineering and design is the control estimate, which gives us the capex for the project and the control schedule, which tells us the, the, the time it's going to take to build the project. And I think as everyone knows, you know, vis-a-vis a definitive feasibility study that was done in May 2020, there, there are inflationary pressures that we've experienced. But, you know, you look at BMI's uh, forecast for the lithium price, that's increased significantly as well. And we've said this in previous quarterlies. When you take into account inflationary effects, both on CapEx and OPEX, coupled with more recent uh, price expectations for commodities, we get a net improvement in, uh, in valuation. And the resources are only going to support that further. Brilliant. Okay. So that side of the business, you're, you're getting into the beats there. In November, we're aiming for. And then with regards to the actual decision, you're at a point where you can make a decision materially around uh, timing and, you know, who you source this from. And there's a kind of, um, there's a process that you've got, you've got to go through there. How are you incentivized to move this forward? Do you need to wait for market conditions to change at all? Do you need to be sure on your um, commercial terms before you can, you know, put, you know, press the green button there? I mean, I, I can, how does it look forward? What does it look like going forward? Sure. So it, it is a tough environment. There's no doubt about it. You, you, I think you clearly recognize that, but it, it shouldn't prevent us from moving forward. So uh, I think good quality projects can still get developed in more challenging environments. And one of the advantages of having very solid lenders is the fact that that will satisfy a very substantial proportion of uh, the capital funding. Um, and you know, we've been talking about this for several years now. We're well advanced with the US government's International Development Finance Corporation as the cornerstone lender for the upstream part of the business uh, or the development in Namibia. And then uh, more traditional commercial lenders for, for the UAE piece. Uh, we're also looking at, there's, there's some other options, interesting options there for funding the UAE piece as well, which we're, uh, which we're exploring. So, um, I think those these kind of lenders aren't perturbed by the sort of current market circumstances. That's more of an equity thing. Yeah. So these lenders are thinking much longer term, sort of seven years, 10 year payback six, or 10 year lending uh, on, uh, on a shorter payback of probably three to four years. That's where they're thinking. So, um, you know, I think we've got exactly the right funding strategy here. We're dealing with some some very, very credible organizations that are then going to give credibility for, to, uh, that can be leveraged for the equity component. Right. And you, you, were, you were talking um, about US funding. We've talked about that before. Um, but we kind of let, let's, let's kind of let's divide this up because we, you've kind of got the UAE component. You're you're in a kind of industrial park there. Um, so people looking into that jurisdiction right now, given what's going on in the world, and, and, and the UAE seems to be keeping nice and quiet now, out of the way of things. So there's going to be no reticence from any Western commercial um, uh, in, investors, funders in. Putting money into that part of the world, or and if they if if that was the case, 
would you have to look local? And, and, and I say that because we've been speaking to um, groups who partially sell offtake into China, and they've been encouraged by Western uh, commercial lenders not to do that if they wanted to get any funding from the West. So there, there's a kind of slight bif- potential bifurcation of, of markets, especially around battery metals. So w- what are you saying? Uh, you're exactly right, Matt. No, I think that uh, geopolitics, particularly in the battery, battery material space, um, has has really become very evident over the last couple of years. And I'm I'm very pleased with the jurisdictions in which we're operating here because they're, they're pretty neutral. Um, Namibia and the UAE, and particularly focusing in on on the UAE, right. Very stable jurisdiction, uh, government, some of the world's uh, lowest and most stable energy prices. Um, uh, as you mentioned, we're building an enormous uh, industrial park. So there's this benefit of this enormous shared infrastructure that we get. And they're, they're being very progressive. Like uh, there's a big commitment now to be bringing on commercial quantities of green hydrogen. Like in a couple of years' time, the the, the, the world's largest single-site solar PV uh, two gigawatt power station is going to be coming on stream, and the majority of the power from that facility is intended for green hydrogen and green ammonia manufacture within the Kizad Industrial Park where we're going to be uh, building. We demonst- we're looking at future-proofing our plant by putting in a hydrogen-enabled uh, boiler. So as soon as we can switch that thing off from, uh, over from natural gas to green hydrogen, our greenhouse gas emissions will go from being probably about 25% lower than a typical vertically integrated spodumene project to best in industry. So you know, it, it's, I think that in five years' time, people will look back and they'll say, how come you made that decision to build in the UAE? Because that is just such a fabulous place to be doing business. Well, it's interesting in the concept, and I come back to your analyst comment, and I have to say I kind of agree with them in the sense that the the two-month the delay is inconsequential um, in the context of the, of the, the total, total spend. Um, and if it can... You know, if it's slightly more efficient, then that's always a good thing. Um, but there, there's also there's also a kind of conversation that's had with like, and maybe you have the benefit of, and I certainly have the benefit of when I talk to, you know, battery manufacturers or or OEMs, people in the sector building out this massive infrastructure um, that they do plan longer, they do think um, longer, and I guess the companies that you know can insert themselves into that ecosystem and think. And plan and finance the same ways have got more chance of success. So I'm, I'm so, so I'm looking looking to you, and, ask, and I've got to ask the question, which is, you know, in Namibia, it's you just you, you, you've got you've gone through a process of um, upgrading the asset in Namibia, it, high, higher grade, you know, longer life of mine, all all kind of good stuff, but it's still inferred, right? What more do you need to do to that project to make it attractive, to make it investable and fundable um, from outside? Because you can't take too many shortcuts, really, can you? No, absolutely we can't take any shortcuts. And I think one of the things that Lapidico has done incredibly effectively over the course of the last six years 
is effectively manage business risk. It's one of the reasons why we're bringing a more modest scale project on with phase one. It's all about risk management. Um, like we could have drilled out additional material and and got a bigger inventory and gone bigger, but risk de- development and operating risk is grows exponentially with scale. So um, we're always uh, mindful about uh, about business risk and, and managing it effectively. Um, and so um, you know these. Uh, these additional resources, they were inferred. We've now done all of the drilling. It's complete. We've got the assays back. We know the drill density is sufficient to be able to get the resources into measured and indicated category, just like at Helicon 1, just like at Rubicon. And so the, the that resource estimation work and so the, the new mineral resource estimate is uh, scheduled for later on in October. We've already done the preliminary uh, mine assessment based on the latest drill data. And so we've already got a a preliminary pit optimization. That mine planning work, mine design work will then be done. Helicon 4 is a a relatively small scale pit. So by early November, we should have an ore reserve and be able to be factoring this into our life of mine plan and the overall project. Right. Do you think the market understand, do you think investors understand the business model in its entirety in terms of trying to move, you know, downstream into, uh, you know, chemicals? Um, well, well, I can see why you want to do it because it, it, make, it makes total sense because you kind of get, potentially get a re-rate from being a miner doing a chemicals uh, industrial uh, company. Um, but what, what, what's the reality of where the value of this company sits today versus in let's say 10 years time what, what do investors need to understand where you're going about where you're going oh so phase one is all about proof of commercialization uh, managing risk demonstrating the commercial viability of these process technologies 10 years time we're going to be um, we're going to have uh, looked at a phase two project we could even be at phase three like we've already sold one license package to Cornish lithium and so, like by then, we should be um, uh, looking at royalties on the horizon. You know, in certain circumstances, we could consider um, uh, other uh, licensing arrangements as well. So, like that's that's a whole other part of uh, part of the business here. And what we have seen over the course of this year um, is much greater interest in lithium micas. And it's not just lapidolite. There are other lithium mica minerals like zimbaldite, polylithionite, lithium muscovite. Our process can can treat all of those. And so um, what we've had is we've had multiple um, inbound unsolicited uh, inquiries with regard to our technology. And the way our thinking in this regard is, has changed is we're not looking at necessarily trying to partner on the upstream part of the um, uh, on these other prop deposits. Uh, I think we can be looking at developing the world's first market for lithium mica um, concentrates, and we can have maybe a concentrate stream coming out of Namibia into a phase two plant that's somewhere else in the world. 
It could be back in the UAE, it could be in Namibia, it could be in the US. Um, and having third party concentrate streams coming into that. And so uh, we want to be vertically integrated. We see significant benefit in being vertically integrated. It reduces volatility throughout the economic cycle because at some points in that sort of lithium pricing cycle, you have uh, concentrates like now, which are at a premium. And for the non-integrated converter, say in China right now, they're having to pay um, five, $6,000 a tonne for spodumene concentrate. That equates to maybe 35 plus thousand dollars a tonne on lithium carbonate equivalent. So those converters in China, they need $45,000 a tonne, maybe $50,000 a tonne just to be turning a profit. And so on that basis, the spot chemical prices aren't actually that high right now. What I think that we'll see in the fullness of time as new spodumene product projects come on is we might see spodumene concentrate prices soften, particularly if there's a lag in new converter capacity coming on. Okay, being vertically integrated really insulates against that volatility in, in concentrate pricing and the, the transference of value in product from concentrate to fine chemical. Well, let, let's, take, let's talk about that, Jay, because um, basic economics, what I want, I want from you here. So I want to understand is, are lithium prices in, 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 in all, all its uh, uh, derivatives, is it really truly sustainable? Because you, we, there are so many lithium companies talking a game of getting into production where I've had one come on here and say, we can supply the world's lithium demands just from our one project, right? And you've got some existing big producers who can turn the tap on and, and yeah, pump out more, more lithium into, into the marketplace. If all of those people are to be believed, we've got more than enough lithium and oversupply means one thing, it means lower prices. So what, what, what am I missing? So Matt, I'm going to, in a minute, ask you this very question back, okay? So, 2021, lithium supply was maybe 400-odd thousand tonnes. Depending on which commentators you listen to, by 2030, like the US Department of Energy is saying 3 million tonnes of demand is going to be required. BMI is at around 2.3. And they're saying that the industry isn't going to get close to supplying two. Okay, let's look at this from the perspective of the cost curve. So the cost curve is this big in 2021. The x-axis by 2030 is going to be five to six times longer. So you've got these incumbent producers here with all of their sunk capital. Yeah, and you've got all of this new production that needs to come on stream, okay, which is going to be, it is yet to be sunk capital. The inflation that we've seen over the last couple of years is all going to be baked in. And then you look at what some of these projects look like. So what's the top end of that cost curve likely going to be look, looking like? Well, I think we've got some visibility on that this year with some intentions in China to be bringing some uh, lipidolite deposits on there that are super low grade, 
right? The, the CapEx for uh, one of the projects is estimated at 4.6 billion US dollars for 100,000 tonnes of uh, lithium carbonate equivalent. Okay, so, and this is really low grade material. Like my understanding is it's about 0.25% lithium oxide. That's not too far of the, uh, off our lower cutoff grade. Okay, so it's almost certainly going to be right at the very top end of the cost curve. They're roasting. If they're using um, fossil fuels for process heat in the roaster, it's going to be the dirtiest lithium in the probably that's going to be produced in the world as well. Okay, so I would suggest that these operations are likely going to become the industry's swing producers if they do get up and running. They're going to be right up in that top decile of the of the cost curve. And to be able to uh, have those projects at the margin, they I think that we're probably going to need to see thirty five, forty thousand dollar a ton. Uh, lithium chemical prices um, in real terms. So, um, you know, these all of these new projects are going to be coming on. There's going to be a mixture of some brines, obviously more spodumene projects, some uh, sedimentary hosted. The reality is not all of them are going to get there. Like, we always, we're hearing about permitting, we're hearing about infrastructure. Um, the uh, ESG requirements are only getting uh, more uh, uh, stringent, particularly for Western producers. Those are all headwinds for new projects. So a lot of these projects are only going to take longer to get into, into production. So demand, I think, is going to continue to be accelerating. Supply is going to struggle to keep up. So, Matt... What does the upper end of that top quartile of the cost curve look like in by 2025-2030? Because that's going to be what's going to be supporting prices. It, yeah, it, it, it's like obviously it, mining. Obviously, mining is very difficult. There are lots of challenges. I think there are lots more challenges these days than than there were. I think the, you know permitting and licensing and environmental component, social. Component ESG, which is I think slightly, slightly fading, or its, it's sheen has come off somewhat, but it, it's it's still still badged as such. Um, I, I would argue it's all, always hard to access for good companies. Um, it, it's it's tough, right? And not all not all CEOs are to be believed, <laughs> you know. So will all the demand that's being talked about come online? I doubt it. There's there's a lot a lot of pressure from all. all all corners um, on that one. I think that will put pressure on supply for sure. Uh, the question of how does how close can it you know tag along behind uh, demand? I don't know. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the great unknown. But I think what we're all going to agree on violently is that there is going to be a delta between those two numbers um, now and for well the imminent future. I suspect. Um, so can I ask one more question of you, which which is how does the why is the integrated model any better than just you know pure mining you know just like i've got a good lithium deposit i'm going to mine and i'm going to you know make sure i do it efficiently and effectively um and you know capture the biggest margin i can why put this layer this complicated layer of chemical plant on top 
Doesn't that confuse the market? Does it make things more difficult for you? So it might confuse the market, but that's not my my concern really. Like my concern is to be developing the, the most robust business that we possibly can. Um, so um, it's it, it's about participating through the economic cycle um, and g- getting as much return as we possibly can. And we've got the technologies to be able to do that. Yeah. So the, the, what we see through the lithium price cycle is um, value transfer from concentrate manufacturer to chemical uh, manufacturer at various points in the cycle. And we saw this in the last cycle. So when there was um, a lack of converter capacity, uh, sorry, a, a lack of uh, concentrate capacity and a, um, a reasonable amount of converter capacity, then the, we saw very strong spodumene concentrate pricing. As more concentrate operations come on, and the barrier to entry to produce a mine and a DMS plant is a lot lower than build a large, complex downstream chemical plant, particularly if it's spodumene with a large roaster and calciner associated with it. So the uh, once uh, there's an oversupply of spodumene concentrates, supply demand, concentrate prices decline, but you can still have uh, prevailing chemical prices elevated because there isn't enough converter capacity to satisfy actual chemical demand. Okay, so that's what we want to participate in. We want to be participating in both parts of this equation through the lithium price cycle. It means that we have a more robust business throughout the cycle. And in the fullness of time, we probably will see supply and demand start to meet. It's difficult to see where it's going to happen this decade. Um, But uh, then there will be pressure. But the greatest pressure is going to be felt by the non-integrateds. So those that are just mining and producing a con, or those that don't have their own upstream asset, and they're just doing the chemical conversion. By having both, it is a great risk mitigator. Joe, appreciate your time today. Thanks for uh, coming on the call. Thank you very much, Matt. Good to see you again.